Hi there, this is Donna Reish and Ray Reish of Raising Kids with Character Parenting Seminar and Blog and Character Inc. Press Publishing Company. Today we would like to bring you our top 30 tips from 30 years. This presentation is one that we will be giving at a homeschool convention here in a week or so in Kelowna, British Columbia, and so we just thought that we would use it for one of our Wondering Wednesdays since it does answer a lot of questions that people ask us that they are wondering about. And so uh, this is going to be a fairly long presentation, about 55 minutes, so um, hopefully you'll have time to download it and listen to it or listen to it in pieces. But basically this is, in a nutshell, if we were saying, okay, we've been homeschooling 32 years this year, beginning with my younger sister um, 32 years ago when she was in 8th grade and our oldest was 1 year old, if we were to narrow down, and then continuing on with all seven of our kids, if we were to narrow down what we think are the top 30 tips that we think would help others or that have really helped us the most, that it is these 30 things. And so you can guess that in under 60 minutes, we're going to uh, move at a pretty quick pace, give you the highlights for all of these 30 tips. So we'll start with the area of prioritizing. And the first tip is this. Put the Bible and character first. I think of, of Bible verses like 3 John. You have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So often we get tied up with the busyness of life, the busyness of schooling at home, and we leave out things like things that are the most important, the spiritual life. If you really even look at what is going to be important in eternity, it's going to be the spiritual things that we teach our children. So always, when you have a choice to make, choose doing the Bible. Choose a spiritual activity first above other things. I talk about this a lot on the blog and also at the various podcasts and uh, videos for Wondering Wednesday. If you go to Character Inc. blog, you can find those there under Wondering Wednesday. And um, one of the things that I talk about is how to actually implement this practically. In a practical way for us, this is meant that first thing in the morning, we do a certain morning routine, a certain order of things with the children. And so uh, when Ray was able to, which was a good portion of the time, he would get up and do Bible, character, some reading and things with the kids before he went to work. This often meant that the kids would go back to bed, take a short nap, and then we would start our day an hour or so later. But whatever it took to be able to get that in. It also meant that once the children were up and around, their morning routine consisted of the things that would build character within them, that is consistency in a morning routine, a daily schedule, and we have a lot at the blog about morning routines, schedules, we even have some charts that you can purchase for download, just all kinds of things. It meant that they had that in their lives, and then it meant that when we got together, we did two things in the morning, Bible time, which included also character reading, Bible reading, Bible stories, hymn studies, biography studies, and those type of things, and chores. And we also have a ton at the blog, including age-appropriate chore posters and all kinds of things for this. But those were the first two things in our day because we were trying to tell the children to put by, that, we, that we felt it was important to put Bible and character first. And again, that with character, if you think about what is going to make your child successful after they graduate from high school, whether it is in a job, whether it is in with relationships, whether it's being a father or a husband, you're always going to come back to what will make them successful is character traits. So focus upon character. Bible first, character second, everything else will follow after that. The, the next point that we have is keep your, mate, your marriage a priority. The question that we have for you is this. When did you become a family? Did you become a family when your first child was born and it was husband and wife and one, one child? Or did you become a family when you first got married? And the answer is when you, became, when you got married is when your family started. 
Your children were brought into your family for you to uh, nurture and admonish, but then to send them away. And you need to be sure that your marriage is a priority. I like to think of this as like a bullseye, concentric circles. Inside is the most important relationship, God. The next one is your spouse. And the third ring would be your children. And again, everything else would come after that. So often we've seen in, in homeschooling families and even in our own lives, we will get this out of balance and we'll let kids' activities, our kids, to become more important than our spouse. Or our kids to become more important than an activity that we need to do for God. And then what happens is we're just all out of balance. Also, practically speaking, uh, this tip takes a ton of intentionality because so many other things are vying for your attention. And you know what? We're so quick to put our own needs and even the needs of our spouse on the back burner in order that we can meet other people's needs and especially the needs of our children. And so because it's not there crying out to us, because it's not there with a messy diaper or or soiled hands or an injured uh you know, boo-boo on their knee, or because it's not there with, uh, you know, dis- disagreements in, among children, or because it's not there on a church committee calling to us, or because it's not there as a job that we have to do every day, it is so easy to put it on the back burner. And so just very quickly, two or three things that we found to, to keep our marriage a priority is that when Ray first got home from work, we would always spend the first few minutes together. We called this couch time. Sometimes we called it talking, where we took a walk and uh, and went to talk. But the kids knew that mom and dad's time together for at least 15 minutes when he first arrived home was going to be a priority. Secondly, we made date night a priority. Now, we know all about not being able to afford it, living on one income, Having a lot of children, we know all about that. But if you want date night to be a priority to you, you will not buy as many things. And instead, you will focus on your relationship. Also, you will look for creative ways to have date night that do not include money, such as putting all the kids to bed, um, letting them all sleep in the same room and having a movie night if they can get along. This is all based on, you know, obviously teaching and training ahead of time. But letting them go to bed early, listen to things, watch things, whatever it might be, and you guys having a date at home, making homemade pizza together, ordering pizza, playing a game, watching a movie, taking a walk. There are many, many inexpensive things. Taking a picnic to the park if, you ha- if your older children can babysit. There are inexpensive ways to make date night happen each week. The third point is husbands must be involved. And again, one of my wife's pet peeves is is when somebody would come up and and ask, or we would ask the question, uh, do you homeschool? And the man would answer, no, but my wife does. And guys, that is the wrong answer. Because the husband must be involved. I think of verses like Deuteronomy 6.5 where we're supposed to love the Lord with all our heart and then we are to teach our children. I think of verses like Galatians 4.2 where it talks about the children are under governors and tutor until the time appointed by the father. So husbands have to be involved. What role you take, you and your wife need to come up with what that is. You definitely need to be the superintendent of your home. You definitely need the principal, the chief disciplinarian. You need to take those roles. But you should take a role as a teacher of some subject. Sometimes you need to take the role of the teacher's helper, the teacher aide. And sometimes you just plain need to be the janitor and go around and cleaning up the messes because maybe your wife hadn't had time to get all those. But dads, you've got to be involved. All righty. And, um, yeah, I mean, I could go on. We could do the whole thing about this one. <laughs> and um, I am eternally grateful for a man who co-parents with me. I don't parent alone. I don't homeschool alone. We do this together. And, um, you know, even if I carry out the bulk of the teaching during the day, everything 
we, we both know what's going on at all times in all areas of our family. Again, that goes back to that meeting every day and keeping your marriage a priority too. But being involved, and another thing with being involved is to make sure that the involvement that you have is what is going to meet your wife's needs the most. It's really important to see what she needs. I remember other moms saying, you know, if my husband would just help me with grading. And I remember thinking, the last thing I want is for my husband to help with grading. I want him to help with discipling our children. I want him to help with discipline. I want him to be in their hearts. I don't want him grading a stack of papers at night. And so, but that's different for each person. So finding out, husbands, what really will be the best help to your wife and would be the best involvement that you can have. Husbands, don't assume that you know what your wife wants. You find out by asking, by talking about it. If you want a book to read, read a book called Five Love Languages to get an idea of what this would be. The next area, and again, we're in this, the area of priorities is this. Priorities are what you do and do it more often than not. Because you have to have your best, you, you create a schedule, you try to do a lot of different things, You're, you have the best intentions, but then life happens and things just fall apart. So what do you do? We don't want you to be condemned because that happens, but we want you to sit back and look and say, okay, this week my goal was to have Bible study with my family five days during the week. And I look back, and guess what? I only got it done two times. And we would tell you this. Do it more often than you don't do it. So if you find that you're not doing it, then you have to stop, rearrange your schedule, rearrange your priorities, so the things that you want as priorities, you'll get done. If you take a, take a look at your schedule... Look at where you spend your money. Whatever is your priority, you will eventually get done because it is a priority. So another way to look at it is just every every so often stop, look at what you're doing, look at where you're spending your money, and say, are we really doing the priorities that we want? You have to reevaluate many, many times, you know, each year, and things change. Don't be condemned. Don't be overwhelmed if you don't carry out something that you want to. However, don't let it go on. Stop, get it corrected, and start start doing the things you know you need to do. The next key point, trickle-down effect. When you say trickle-down, it's the concept is this, that you work with your oldest child first, and what you have taught with your oldest child, they will help you teach the sibling underneath them, your younger children. Examples. Our oldest child loves history. So he talks a lot about history. Guess what? Everyone in the family loves history because what he loved kind of trickled down on everybody else. Our oldest child loved Legos and building with Legos. All of our boys and girls loved Legos because it trickled down upon them. So why do we say that's that's key? Because sometimes you'll have to make decisions on where do I spend my time. And we're going to tell you, spend it with your oldest child first because it will trickle down upon the others. One last key point I would say in this area is, if you asked us, who is one of the key uh, spiritual leaders for our youngest child? And it would be their siblings. His older siblings have taught him a lot. Yes, mom and dad have been involved, but the siblings have taught many more things than we have actually taught. Okay, with the trickle-down effect, um, I think that we need to realize the power that we have in teaching our older children. We were told when uh, Joshua was little and Joshua and Caleb were little that we should spend the majority of our time, that we should focus the majority of our efforts on those first two children, that we should disciple, we should mentor, we should teach, we should train relentlessly 
those two. And we were taught that when they were very small. And I'm so grateful that we were because now we see the trickle-down effect that Ray just described, how they have been an integral part in training the younger children. But also just even just what the other children overhear that trickle-down effect has been huge. But then also what expectations you get in place with the older children because the behavior uh, expectations, the honesty, the character, those things, those expectations that are in place with the older children have trickled down and they became our behavior absolutes. They became our family, um, our family's goals and uh, trickled down to the younger children. The next tip is this. Remember, you are training Christian adults. The focus here is we want your view to be long-term, not short-term. Your goal in homeschooling your children are to teach them, train them, empower them to be successful Christians when they leave your home. Your goal is not to be have them just obey in the moment or just to finish a math book in the moment. We want you to have a much broader picture. And that picture is what is long-term? What do they need to be successful? Because sometimes we get caught up in too little of details and we miss the very large picture. Okay, specifically... For us, um, I know that when your children are very small, it's really hard to think of long-term focus, and it's hard to think that, you know, this is something that's going to last forever, and this is something that's going, you know, if I do this today, if I do story time today, if I read the Bible today, if I talk to them about their relationship with God today, if I train them and how to cook today, it's hard to, you know, really translate that into long-term. So one of the things that I tried to do was to put before me people who were good examples of teenagers and young adults who had raised Christian children. Now, at the time that we had our first, our older children were young, it was difficult to do because there weren't that many kids who had been homeschooled by then and who had been raised like this. But we did know a few, and they were role models for us. And so I would just try to stay focused that, that this is what they did to have success in raising Christian adults and Christian teens. And this is what I, that is what will happen if I do this. And so it, it's really important that you have that in front of you, that you have those people that you can say, you know what, I know that in the long run this will make a difference. Okay, number seven is to make a change each week. Make a change each week. When we first set out many, many years ago to uh, parent and to be married and to have a family, um, when our oldest child was one year old, Ray's mentor said to him that um, he should sit down with me each week and he should ask me, you know, Donna, what do you want to see changed in our home? What do you want to see happen what things can we correct or fix and he said you sit down with her every week and you ask her Donna what can I do for you Donna what can I do for you and you do that week in and week out and he said eventually she will look at you and say you'll say what can I do for you and she'll look at you and say nothing what can I do for you and in 32 years that has never happened so to make a long story short he encouraged us to make changes often. So it's true, I never really did come become unneedy, but it did instill great habits in us, the habits of making changes. So for those of you who can't see the big picture, and that's very hard to do when you have young children, consider it this way. If you did not make a change a week, but suppose you just made a change a month, Okay, we've been parenting now for over 30 years. Our oldest is 33. And so in that 30 years time, suppose we made one change a month, which I know we made way more than that, but let's just say we made one change a month. The one thing that we said, you know what? We're improving this right now in our home. And we focused our attention and we made that change. We did that 30, 30 years, 12 months. That is 360, is that right? 360 changes over our parenting career. 
And what if you could have 360 good things in your home, better things than what you have now? Good things, better things, better changes, good changes. Would 360 be enough? So when you are tempted to think that if I change something, it's not going to make that big of a difference or too many things, I can't face them all. Instead, look at it. If I make one change a month over a long period of parenting, I'm going to have a lot of changes. If you make one change every week or two, you're even going to have more. The tip for right now, you've been through this conference, you've heard a lot of things. You can't go home and implement everything. But if you can go home and this week implement a change, you will be better off and then go from there. So the next key area, and this is about priorities, is be available. A uh, couple Bible verses come to, to mind, and, and the one in 2 Samuel 15.2. It say, states this, that Absalom did something that stole the heart of the children of Israel. And it was like, what did he do that was so great that he could steal someone's heart? Because, you know, we're told to, you know, to have the heart of our children. So, what was it that he did? Read the whole chapter of 2 Samuel 15. And you'll find things like he rose up early and stood by the gate. When somebody had something to say, he listened to them. And da-da-da-da-da, and goes on and on. And then, you know what? You'll probably say I missed it. I really don't know what he did was so great that could steal somebody's heart. Finally, the Lord showed me the thing that Absalom did was he just became available. He was where the people were, and when they had a need, he listened to them. Being available is so strong that it can take your child's heart. Guys, I think of Malachi 4.6, the Bible verse that's so often misquoted that says, turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. But that, that is the second part of the verse. The first part of the verse is this. Turn the heart of the father to the children, and then the heart of the children to the father. Guys, we have to be available. If we are not available, someone else will be. Someone else will listen to our children, and the result will be, that someone else will steal their heart. So, being available, if you find out that you're not available, you're, you're not at home enough, then be home. If you're at home, but you're not really present, because you're doing too many other things, then be present, be available to your children. The next area we want to talk about, and these are all about how do you develop character in children. The first one is use expectation explanations. The concept behind this is don't assume that your child knows what is expected of them. You need to explain to them what is expected to them in the situation they're going to come in. You can do this well in advance. Let's say you're driving in a car to go someplace. You explain to them, here's where we're going Here's what we expect out of you. And you're going to explain it to them ahead of time. Then they'll understand. And maybe you'll even have to go through the explanation of why that's what's required. But then they know what is expected. There are a number of reasons for this. And for those who think, well, I shouldn't have to explain. My children should obey no matter what. We really, really want to discourage that for a couple of reasons. First of all, should children obey all the time? Yes. But number one, the Bible says to not provoke your children to wrath. And one of the best ways to make them angry and upset is to not let them know what's expected. And to um, have an outcome or a result or a discipline or a, a consequence for something that they weren't even aware of the, what, the, what the expectations were to begin with. And so that will keep them from becoming bitter and angry. But second of all, we don't do expectation explanations for right now. We do them for forever. 
And so an example of this is just a really cute story about our now 21-year-old. Whenever we got in the car, we always used to give expectation explanations before we got before while we were traveling someplace. And we did this every time we got in the car, every time somebody was coming over, all the time. This is how we trained, or this is how we raised our children. And so one time we told him, we told the whole car, the whole van that we're going to go to this graduation party, but because we have to get to the next one, and then the next one, and there were five that day, we're only going to go in and honor Janan and come back out. So you won't be able to, you know, disperse, go play, so on and so forth. And we explained it all to them, assuring them that they could play later and so forth. Well, after we left that graduation party, as we were driving down the road, we were in a quarter of a mile down the road before this little two and a half year old says, we have to go back. And we said, why, why? You know, thinking that he left something, that he had a car that he left in his pocket or something like that. And he said, I forgot to honor Janan. He had heard us say, all we're going to do is go in and honor Janan. And that expectation explanation stuck with him. And so this works for all ages of children. And it is a great way to build their moral bank for the future also. The next key area is you cannot parent in the gray. And here we'd like to just, some things are the parent's responsibility and some things are the child's responsibility. Parents, your responsibility is to be sure things are black and white. That your child knows what's expected of them. And then you can discipline if they don't know. And they don't follow through. But if your child doesn't know what's expected of them. Or worse yet. Sometimes it's something they do is okay, and sometimes something they do is not okay. That is parenting in the gray, and your child will never be successful. So parents, it is your job to be sure that things are black and white in your child's mind. At work, we like to use this phrase. Either a, somebody that doesn't do something at work, either they don't know what is expected of them, or they don't care about it. If I take that to parenting, if they don't know, that is the parent's responsibility to be sure the child knows. If the parent, if the child doesn't care about it, that's a completely separate issue, and then you can discipline. Many times when we would carry out discipline, we would ask the question, do you know why you're being disciplined? And if... We got that deer in the headlight look. No, I have no clue. You know, or they maybe even tell us the wrong thing. We'd have to say, okay, we're not we're not parenting in black and white. This is on me as a parent. I got to make it black and white. Um, I this is a, a huge area that we could actually spend two hours on. Nothing more than parenting in the gray versus parenting in the black and white. And the 40s of behavior versus routine behaviors and so on and so forth. So I just want to give a little pitch here because I want you to be able to locate the help that you might need in these areas. At the Character Inc. blog, we have um, our Wondering Wednesday audios and audio podcasts and also um, videos. And there are multiple audios and multiple videos about the 40s of behavior, uh, parenting during difficult training times, uh, um, teaching heart behaviors, uh, parenting through routine behaviors and character training. We have products, poster packs, worksheet packs about all of those things. And the audios and videos are at the blog specifically. And then if you go to the Character Inc. store, you will see the parenting downloads where those things, those products are so that you can get help with parenting in the gray. The next key point is this. Minister to someone else who cannot repay you. We like to tell our kids, you hear the phrase, you're number one. You know what? That's a bad phrase to use with your children. Because they already have a pride issue. They already think of themselves as greater than everybody else. That's human nature. We like to tell our kids, you're number three. God's number one. Everyone else is number two. You're number three. So what we would like to do practically here is 
you got to find a way that your kids can minister to people and be concerned about people other than themselves. How can start when they're young, help them to reach out to other people. It might be doing it as a family reaching out to someone else. But how do they reach out and get involved with other people? One of the key areas our kids have done is they've gotten involved in disability ministries where they've reached out with truly with people that cannot you know, repay them, and they have just learned to be ministers at a young age. Um, along those same lines of ministering to someone who can't repay you is also ministering consistently and in a way that is actually uh, takes time and effort. So uh, we would say not necessarily just a Christmas drive where you're raising money for the poor or something like that but some but something that is ongoing i truly believe that working week in and week out at the disability ministry service for literally eight and ten years depending on our children's ages our kids doing that 36 weeks a year during the school year every single week and then a couple of times a month in the summer but every single week working in that ministry has made the difference because they had to give up sleep they had to give up being with friends. They had to give up a night off from work if when they got to be teenagers. Their, their night off of work was spent ministering. And so not only ministering to those who can't repay you, but also teaching your children to minister in such a way that it takes time, effort, and it's inconvenient. Because that is truly what ministry is, not just doing those things that are convenient. The next key area is there are some behavioral behavioral absolutes and the four d's we would like to discuss them but sometimes we get caught up and we think of everything as one big pot we would say no you know they're in character training there are some things that are much much more important than other areas an example is this a child spills milk at the table and their sibling, who's an older sibling, rolls their eyes. Another older sibling makes a comment about the child, you know, and how, how bad they are. Which child in your household would be disciplined? So often we get caught up about the person who spilled the milk. And we miss the point that the guy that rolled the eyes, the one that spoke something from their heart against their brother are much more larger offenses than spilling milk. Uh, in practical terms, behavior absolutes are those things that your family has determined you will not sway on. These are things that from your children's youngest ages, you've said our family is going to be like this. These are the behaviors that we will not allow in our home. Now, these will be different for each person, but for us personally, that was striking or harming another sibling intentionally. Uh, that's the fourth D, destruction. Not, not just playing around and wrestling and so forth, but actually striking, biting, pulling hairs, you know, those type of behaviors. The um, lying, any kind of deceit. That was a behavior absolute that from the beginning we said we would not allow. Disrespect to parents saying no, slamming doors, those type of things. If you have only young children, establishing behavior absolutes is crucial because whatever you do when your children are very, very young, and you determine those as your behavior absolutes between the trickle-down effect and the fact that you are implementing something that is going to be in your family forever makes a huge difference on their character and their behaviors because our family doesn't do this. Our family does this. I've got to give one one story here. Um, got a phone call. We were at, Donna and I were out, and our kids called me and said, "Hey, Dad, uh, just so you know, uh, we put a hole in the wall." What? And I'm going, well, "What happened?" Oh, we were playing around. We were playing ball in the house, and such and such happened. And Jacob's arm went through the wall, and there's a big hole in the wall. Guys, think about. Well, how you would respond to that. Is that one of the four D's? Is that a major thing to get upset about? If you let them play ball in the house. Or is it something that you use as a training tool? Again, 
We used it as a training tool. This is a training tool. Hey, you broke the, the broke the wall, you gotta fix pay to fix the wall. No big deal. It was like the rolling of it was not a rolling of the eyes, it was kinda like the spilled milk. And by the way, those kids were in their upper teens during that time that that happened. The next area we'd like to talk about is heart training. And it says, win your, you win your child's heart. The key thing here is, so often, life happens, many things to get accomplished, but the, you've got to remember that your goal is to, to have your child's heart and keep it and protect it until they can protect it themselves. And that means you spend time developing a relationship with them. You spend whatever quantity or quality time that you need to, whatever it takes to get a re to develop that relationship with your child. It's going to involve a significant amount of talking and listening. The next one, find each child's niche. We have seven children. Every child is different. So every child needs to be we need to, to treat each one differently, that we need to find out what interests them. We need to find out how do they communicate and how would they feel love. And then we need to speak their language to show our interest in them. The best example I can give of this is Josiah. Josiah wanted to become a drummer. He, we bought him a set of drums, which I'm not sure why we did, but he's a great drummer now. And the only thing is, he got, during his, this time of just getting involved with drums, he got involved with cymbals, buying and selling cymbals. And he was talking about all the name brands and all the kinds. And let me ask you, do I care anything about that? No, not really. But because Josiah was interested in it, I was interested in it. And I learned about cymbals because that was his niche and with that finding each child's niche a lot of people think that this means that when they're really young you put them in a ton of activities and our experience really wasn't how this panned out you stop and think about people who put their kids in so many activities when they're really really young and they go to you know they have various instruments various dances various art things various sports and so on and um, seldom does the do those things be remain their interest all throughout their uh, childhood and teen years and seldom of course does that carry over into adult years so when we're talking about finding each child's niche that doesn't necessarily mean try out everything on your children because one of the things that we do in trying to find our children's niche is that we miss all of our training time with our children all of our heart building time all of our relationship building all of our heart affecting we miss all of that time because we're running them to activities all the time so we say find each children's niche each child's niche we were very careful and selective in what our kids were involved in and as they got older they could do more things but just be careful that in trying to find your children's niche you are not missing out on some of the more important things which, you know, is, is 6 to 10 really the time to find their niche? Or is that the time to be building a lot of other things in their lives? So probably all of those activities will not really result in their niche. And more time with you could be better spent. Next key area is have one-on-one -on -one time with each child. Again, a family of seven, you've got to have special times one-on-one. -on -one. What we would do practically is... That time would be uh, at night when we put them to bed. A lot of times I would go in and just sit down and talk with one of them. And they knew that they could, they could save something for that time when Dad was going to be in and they would have my attention, full attention, to listen and talk. We could have one-on-one -on -one times. Um, other places for, for me as, as a father doing this, you never do a job by yourself. You always have a partner, an assistant helping you. And because that is the time that you will be able to talk. You never run to the store by yourself. Somebody who can come with you because you're going to have time to talk and to share one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and it doesn't stop there. When they get older, you can have dates with your younger or your, your older girls because they want to have one-on-one -on -one time.
you've got to, you've got to, again, it's a carryover of what we talked about, their niche, their uniqueness, but you, they need to feel special and that they belong, and that's done with one-on-one -on -one time. The next key area is differentiating between childishness and foolishness. Again, this is another way to look at character, and this is the rolling eyes and spilled milk example, but childishness is what children do. They do it because they're children. They do it because they've not been trained to do anything different. And when kids do childish things, you know, they run, they talk too loud, you know, they, they don't know, they throw a toy at the wrong time. They, they do it not because there's something deceitful in their heart. They do it because they're a child. You train them. You train childishness out of them. The opposite is foolishness. Foolishness is something that comes from the heart. It comes out. It is not because they're a child doing it. It's because there is something evil in their heart, and it's just coming out. That is those words that they say against their, their uh, brothers and sisters. That is disrespect. That is the rolling of the eyes. Guys, foolishness is dealt with much more strictly and it's much more important to get under control. So every character development is not the same. There are some things that come from the heart and those need to be dealt with very swiftly. Just real quickly, because I don't want to, this again is part of that big old long thing that we do in our parenting seminar, raising kids with character. Um, but I do want to say that at the blog, this information is under the four D's of behavior. It's under uh, character pies, which is training routine behaviors and rather than full, rather than the four D's of behavior. And it's under handling heart behaviors. So those are the places that you'll find that on the Wandering Wednesday at the blog. Okay, number 17 actually is our new category of housework. This is one of my favorite categories because I love getting things done. And I loved uh, the time that I spent working with my children and training them in household tasks and work. Um, number 17 is do dishes, laundry, and trash twice a day. Uh, this tip actually came about because I used to be what my husband called a closet lady. In other words, I would always clean out closets, drawers, shelves, bookcases, and so forth, rather than doing the daily work. He would come home and I would take him by the hand and show him everything that I had done after I was done with school in terms of organizing the schoolroom and organizing the toy shelves and cleaning out closets. And in order to get to those places, we had to step over children who still had pajamas on and laundry baskets that still needed folded. And of course, the kitchen was overflowing with dishes. And so after a lot of uh, him bailing me out, which he did it joyfully all the time, I will say that, but I learned about prioritizing. And I learned that the daily things had to be done first. That it didn't matter if I did many, many, many projects. What really mattered was that I did the daily ins and outs. Once I learned this in the area of housework, I carried it over to schoolwork. I carried it over to my writing. I carried it over to my Plexus uh, supplement business. Everything has to do with daily consistency. It's not the big things that you do. It's the every single day little things that add up and that make you very, very successful. And I just can't say enough about getting your dailies under control. I have a lot of podcast episodes about the dailies and about dishes, laundry, and trash twice a day, about three chore sessions a day, so on and so forth. So I hope you'll go there and see, get some help. But with this, I found that I never had to get behind on anything if we stopped twice a day and did dishes, laundry, and trash. If we did that every single day, we would never get behind and we would never be facing mountains and mountains of work. The next one is number 18, incorporate chores into the daily schedule. I also have a lot at the blog about this. I also have age-appropriate chore lists at the blog too. But with this incorporating chores into the daily schedule, just like we talked about earlier and how it's not something where you, uh, um, you just do things here and there, but instead it is where you do something every single day. So it was with the daily chore schedule. With 
the character training. We knew that chores were a big part of character training. Teaching children to do chores, to do them consistently, to do them uh, well, to do them regularly, to do them completely, to do them on their own eventually. Those things were going to make our children very character-filled. And we knew that from the other people that we had observed and from the, our mentors who taught us. And so we started off with a chore schedule where we added chores to the beginning of the day, right before breakfast, right before lunch, right before dinner. We learned this from Greg Harris, who told us 20, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, to attach things to the schedule that um, are all the things that you already have in your schedule. And so from that, we learned that we should come home and add chores right before a meal because we're already eating that meal. And so we attach chores before breakfast, chores before lunch. I talk all about how to do that and how to prioritize. But in a nutshell, we talked about, we taught our children that we would do chores first thing in the morning before breakfast. Somebody made breakfast. Somebody else started the laundry. Somebody else unloaded the dishwasher. Everybody had their tasks and we were all working at the same time. I can't tell you how this has paid off in dividends over the last 30 years to the point where for the last 20 years until we actually became almost empty nesters at this point, I never did dishes or laundry or trash because somebody else always had daily that dailies. That made more time for me to do the bigger tasks. The next key point is have the youngest child that could do the job do the job. And the key here is who should fold the laundry. The youngest child that can do it should do it. Who should put up the dishes? The youngest child that can do it should do it. Now, the reason behind here is not to have slave labor with your children. The reason is you as the parent need to do more important things. You, All these things we're talking about that you need to do you don't have time to do it if you're all you're doing is all the chores. So you've got to pass the chores out. You've got to train your kids how to do the chores. Let them do it. So if anybody has any extra time, it will be you. Because that may be the time everybody may be cleaning up after dinner except mom. Because mom's having one-on-one -on -one time with an older child. Or dad may not be helping today because he's having one-on-one -on -one time with somebody else. Always let the younger person that can do the job do it. Guys, one thing this throws out the window is perfectionism. Your house is not going to be perfect. That's fine. That is perfectly fine. Okay. The next key point is we're going to jump to well, how do you incorporate all the little kids involved. And uh, the very first thing is you incorporate the littles into the schedule. With this... Um I knew that it was important once my older children started to be school age, I knew that it was going to be important and I still wanted to do all the amazing things and spend all the time with the littles that I had spent before. And I knew that I still wanted to do that um, with my younger children. And so I incorporated them right into the schedule. I put them right into my schedule so that I would spend time with them. I would read with them and they were a part of our daily school day as opposed to being something separate. And so I didn't just send them away all the time. I didn't just send them off to do their own thing, but they got to be in on story time. They got to be in on unit studies. And then throughout the day, I would put them right into my schedule so that I did little things with them. And I also put them into the older children's schedule so that the older children's lesson plan always had read a story to a younger sibling, play Play-Doh with Josiah, build Legos with Jonathan. So they always had attention from the older siblings too. Incorporating your littles into the schedule will keep them from despising the fact that you're homeschooling their younger sibling. Number 21 is to wait for readiness in areas that require readiness. This uh, is a really interesting area because we have a tendency in our uh, society today to rush, rush, rush everything. We want to rush and teach the next skills. We want our, to be able to say our kids are, you know, three and they're able to read or whatever it might be. And um, I can remember when I was first in graduate school and I was learning all about readiness to learn. 
and I had just graduated with my undergraduate degree a couple of years before, and I had already learned about homeschooling, and I'd read a lot of Dr. Moore's books about how, how children learn and so forth, and I can remember in grad school hearing this information about, you know, how boys mature, you know, at a different pace than girls, but, you know, you try to group them and try to, you know, try to do the best you can, even if they're not ready, you know, and so on, and I can remember writing in the margins of my notes, if this is true, why do we send kids to school at the same time? Or um, since this is true, we should homeschool. And I could just remember just remember making little notes like that and talking, thinking to myself how grateful I am that we were able to learn about homeschooling so that we were able to wait on readiness. So there are a lot of areas that our children require readiness in in order to learn the next skill. Some of these include learning to potty, learning to read, learning to pen or actually write the the small motor skills of that, um, learning to uh, ride a bicycle. There are a lot of areas that require readiness. And one of the things that the, the greatest gifts that I feel, one of the greatest gifts that I feel that we gave to our children was waiting for readiness and not pushing them in areas that they were not ready. When we taught a child to potty, if he didn't learn it in a week or two, we just put the diaper back on and said, you know what, we're going to wait until you, you're, you know, wait until after we get home from Disney World so that we can potty and have so much fun after Disney World or whatever. We just didn't make a big deal out of it. With the child learning to read, I would say, you know what, we do phonics all the time, and it's getting so boring because I don't have time to read to you now. So let's wait on phonics for a little bit and do more of the reading we used to do. And I would just downplay it and wait for a month or two and then try again. And so really waiting for readiness will give your children a love for learning, uh, greatly because they will not be pushed to learn things that they are not ready to learn. The next one is story time early and often. And I am forever grateful that we learned about story time every single day. Because when our children were little, our older kids were little, they would do Bible time with dad in the morning and then Bible with me in the morning and character and and a unit study, then unit studies, and then story time in the afternoon, and then in the evening we would read around the table, and then at night before bed, you know, dad or I or both would read to them again, and they were literally read to for 15 years, three to five hours a day, and then, you know, we had to lessen it a little bit with the younger kids because, you know, the older kids had school, you know, I had so many responsibilities with so many children and with the kids at school and everything like that. But even then, I used audios all the time with them. But we always, always, always had our afternoon story time. One to two hours every afternoon, at least four days a week, we did story time before naps. And recently, when we were preparing for some presentations, my husband asked the kids, you know, what are the things that you think made you love learning now that you're adults more than anything else? And across the board, every child said story time. It was just that impactful to them. Just that time when we connected with books every afternoon, such a pleasant bonding time that they knew they could count on. It was just such a great constant in their life. Okay, the next one, all the next areas are all about school. So these are all things that we felt uh, really had a huge impact on our kids' schooling. And the first one is, number 23, create fun school traditions and activities together whenever possible. With this one, um, we wanted to be sure that our children loved school. We wanted to be sure that they loved learning. So we had a really great balance of, um, you know, regular book work and regular school and the daily ins and outs and fun activities. We always had our fun story time. We always had our fun chapter book that we did every day. We always had our fun chapter books with dad at night. We had our audios that we did all the time every day, did audios. And uh, then we also had art and we had some classes that were fun and we did field trips. And, you know, the highlight of their field trip experiences were the three times that we stayed overnight places when we slept at the top of the jungle gym at Science Central, um, this huge indoor jungle gym that our family alone had the top uh, tier of, and that we slept there in our sleeping bags. 
sleeping overnight at the fort in the in the um, uh, bunks there that the cots that the soldiers slept in and sleeping in the snake room at the zoo. And so whatever things that you can do to make learning fun and memorable will go a long way with your children loving learning and school. Next key area, teach your kids how to find answers and how to learn. Your goal as, as the teacher, as the parent, is not to teach your child what you know. Your job is to teach your children how to learn. So they go way beyond what you know, and they learn a lot more. Or the way, another way to say this, don't give your child a fish. Teach him to be to fisher, to be a fisher, to, to fish. And how does that practically carry out? Well, teach him how to go to the internet and find answers. Teach him how to go to a book and read it and not believe everything that the author says, but to study it for themselves and know, know what is right and what is wrong. Teach your children how to make decisions. Like, you've got to make a financial decision. Teach them the process you go through, but how do you make a decision? Whether to buy a house, whether to buy a car. Walk them through that so they can carry it on and apply it in their own lives. Teach your children how to learn, not just what to learn. The next key area is use a variety of materials. Because kids learn in many different ways. Visual, audio, kinesthetic. Use all different methods to teach. That could be books. That could be audio tapes or CDs. Uh, it could be videos. It be, could be co-op situations where you use another teacher. It could be something like a Christian school or you're utilizing a Christian school. Guys, use a variety of methods. I'm going to ask you the question, why would you ever teach statistics using a book if you can teach it with the back of a baseball card? Why would you ever teach fractions with a book if you can teach it by shooting free throws and keeping track of percentages and fractions as you go? Use Every method that you can to as teaching. Again, school doesn't happen Monday through Friday, 7 to 3. It happens 24-7. When you walk, when you lie down, when you sit, when you rise up. All times are teaching times. Use all those times and all the methods you can to be teaching. The next key area is... Enforce no school means no fun. When uh, back in the goal, back in the olden days, in the pioneers of homeschooling, you know, we were taught that for one thing, we were always very concerned about the uh, state coming in, about the school coming in, and so forth. And I, I think that that we should be very grateful for our homeschool freedoms, but at the same time, the, they have, they can make us become too lax. And so like for us, we, you know, we had home visits, social worker, principals, you know, the, the superintendent of schools and so forth when we were homeschooling my younger sister. And so as a result of that, we didn't skip things and we didn't let kids just not do school. And so I really think that enforcing this idea that if you don't do your school, you don't do anything else, is really, really crucial. Many times parents will come up to us and say, you know, I just can't get my child, you know, my 14-year-old to finish his math, or I just can't get my, you know, 12-year-old daughter to do her grammar or whatever. And the question that we ask is, what happens when school time is done for the day? Well, you know, she goes to ballet or he goes to basketball and, and they go, you know, that night they go to youth group and they go to um, uh, a friend's house or they play on the computer or they, you know, watch YouTube videos or whatever. And we just really recommend that nobody does anything until school is done. And if they aren't allowed to go turn on the television, they're not allowed to turn on YouTube, they're not allowed to go to basketball unless they do school, they'll start doing their school. 
It really has to be something that's very black and white and that is um, an integral part of your life and not something that they have the option of not to do. Use teachable moments when they come up. When you see the fire truck go by, that's when you teach about fire fire truck, what a fireman does, you know, what what a, a civil servant is. When you see a funeral procession go by and you pull off the side of the road, that may be your opportunity to talk about life and death or talk about showing respect or how do you show respect even if you don't even know the person. Again, use all of those normal times for teaching uh, that just happen in, during life. Don't get too caught up with a book or some other material that you've got to cover. If the moment is you should be teaching something else, teach what is in front of you because your child will remember it. Um, this really practically gets carried out by discussing everything. When you see things, you discuss it. When you go to a movie, you come home, you discuss it. You discuss what you saw. When you go to the mall, walk around the mall, and you see some other child's character, you come home and you discuss it. And it was what is good and bad. That's how they will be able to, you'll be able to use those teachable moments to really solidify things in your, your own child's heart. Okay, we're going to move into the last section. Our last three tips have to do with time management, one of my favorite areas to talk about. Number 28 is to make use of your timer. We used, uh, have used a timer through the years for many things, above and beyond timing speeches, which was a big part of our life for a long time um, when our uh, older children were involved in speech and debate competitions. But with our children, we have used a timer extensively. For one thing, some of their things on their chart, on their daily chart, and we have daily charts at the blog. Uh, they're available at the Character Inc. store uh, called Independent Worklist Charts. But one of the things that is was on their some of the things that were on their charts were based on time. So some of their charts might be you know one page of penmanship, one page of math drill for their independent work. But it might also say you know ten minutes of silent reading, or you know six minutes of um, uh, of playing a game with a, a little brother or whatever. And every child had their own timer in their school box. And that way they kept track of those kind of things. So we used it to time some of their things, but also we used it to teach them how to work faster. We would, whenever it was time for a new chore to be taught, we would teach all the new chores and everything. And then when it was time, a lot of times the child would say, but I can't get my new morning routine done in 15 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever the time allotted was for it. And in those cases, we would get out the morning routine chart, and we would set the timer, and I would time the child doing each task. Okay, now go brush your teeth, put your toothbrush and toothpaste away, and then come back. And then we would write down how much time that took. And some of the times they would, you know, really go fast, so I might add 25% of the time just because it was more of a race at this stage. But this was to show them that they could get things done in the time that was allotted. So we use timers all the time to teach them time management skills, to teach them how quickly they could do things, and to teach them that, especially something that they felt was really big, breaking it down and showing them that it really isn't as big. Sometimes we as adults just even need that done for us. Well, one of the things I remember is uh, cleaning up it took too long to clean up after a meal. So we just literally set the timer and said, kids, just watch mom and dad and look how long it takes to do it. And we used a timer and the kids saw that, you know what, you can clean up very fast. Multiple times we've done it as a family. Hey, let's clean up in three minutes. Set the timer and everybody goes. Or we come home for something and we say, okay, the house is kind of a mess. 15 minutes blitz. And we're going to get everything done we can in 15 minutes. It's just amazing with a, with a timer how much more efficient you can be. Okay, number 29 is to have a routine slash schedule that works for you. We, in the early days of homeschooling, 
you know, we didn't have the internet and, and we didn't have everybody around us homeschooling. So whenever something worked, everybody always wanted to do that, you know, because there were so few people doing it. Um, and nowadays it's kind of a, a curse and a blessing because you can see what everybody else is doing all the time through social media and blogs and so forth. And so it's more important than ever that you tailor your schedule to meet your family's needs and that you don't just replicate what somebody else is doing because you see somebody else doing it. And so you think that you should do that too. And so uh, really honing in on a schedule that works for your family, a routine that works for your family, putting the most important things in the beginning of the day and then trickling throughout the day, uh, you know, interspersing activities with you versus independent work and so forth, but getting a schedule that works for you and not trying to be on somebody else's schedule. And finally, number 30, is to create independent work lists. I've made mention of these earlier and um, could not have lived without them. We started out with a morning routine chart and everything that I'm mentioning here, morning routine charts, chore charts, and independent work list, everything is all available at the blog. And so we started out with morning routine charts, getting a chart of the different tasks. We used pictures for these with the kids of different pictures of different tasks that they were supposed to do in a certain period of time. And then they were supposed to come to us done with their morning routine, groomed, ready for the day, and so forth. And then we added their daily chore charts. And that was the chores that they were supposed to do. Again, we started out with pictures, you know, put your pajamas away, unload the silverware, you know, whatever tasks the child had. And then we added their independent daily work list for school. And these were independent lists of things that they were supposed to do whenever they weren't meeting with mom. And it just really solved so many problems because you have this chart on a clipboard for each child and it's broken down. You can break it down however you want. You can break it down by subject matter. You can break it down by schedule, you know, first thing in the morning, the next thing, or, or I broke down mine down by blocks. I use block scheduling a lot. And I talk about that at the blog a lot as well, but you know, early morning block, these are the tasks, you know, late morning block. These are the tasks. And of course, for your older kids, you can, they can make it with you and you can let them decide the order that they want to do things. But creating independent work list is just a phenomenal way for your kids to learn to be independent, to learn to be responsible, to have accountability, to turn things into at a certain time, and then they're free to do those things that they want to do. But once the independent work list is completed. And to summarize all this, uh, 30 items that are, are important, we use from all the experience that we have, but we would tell you, be sure that you love God, love your children, you know, you have no greater joy than your children will walk in truth, teach your children character, and when you leave here today, find one thing to go home and implement one thing, and then next week, implement something else.